In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. Might solve a mystery or rewrite history. This is the story we needed to write as we kept out of sight for no I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney, your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has enveloped both the silver screen and television screen for the past 15 years, and now comes the release of a new title that explores the emergence of this Hollywood studio titan, really. It's MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. It recently debuted as a new book from Dave Gonzalez, Gavin Edwards, and Joanna Robinson giving us an in-depth, comprehensive exploration into the studio that has come to rule Tinseltown and even have some fissures with them. Joining me to discuss this popular new release is my friend and fellow podcaster, Derek Lewis of the Match Hatters podcast. Welcome back to Notably Disney, Derek. And potentially fellow Marvel fan, but I guess that's something we're about to discuss. Hello! Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, let's just get right into it. Um, I'm wondering, so, because I'm always on the lookout for new books, and this one came across my radar. How did this one come across your radar? What factors motivated you to want to check out this book? Probably very different factors from yours. I am not a big nonfiction person. I love podcasts, and I feel like that's where I get all my information. When I'm looking for books, I'm always looking for fiction, novels. Uh, but in this case, the world of podcasting and books kind of uh, aligned for me because Joanna Robinson, the author of this book, is one of my absolute favorite podcasters. She podcasts about nerd fandom, you know, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and Marvel. She's a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which, you know, has the Joss Whedon connection to the Avengers. And she has been working on this book for years and over the last few years, she'll subtly talk about how it's going. And of course, once it released, she spent a lot of time on podcasts plugging the book, rightfully so, which got me excited for it because I love hearing her voice, even if it's even if it's in print. And I am a big Marvel fan. And so I knew if there was like anything interesting to tell, she would be the one to tell it. 
So yeah, so I the I was so excited to get my hands on a copy. In fact, my friend Jeff, who also is a fan, went to one of her book signings, picked up an extra copy, and she signed it specifically to me. So that is the copy I have here in front of me. Very special. Wow. That's really cool. So you're definitely you definitely had a vibe of, of what her style was. And that's always good to have. What about you? Uh because I I was so plugged into the book because of how much she's talked about it. But then, of course, it became this New York Times bestseller. So it's like, oh, clearly it's reaching more than I expected to. How did you first hear about it? Yeah, I was, you know, it was actually a different Marvel book that is supposed to debut, I think, next year. Um, I think something it's like, uh, I think Avengers or Assemble, something like that is in the title. And that came across my radar uh, and then I was trying to look at like, what are some similar books? And then this one surfaced. So I'm like, oh, wow, this is comprehensive. This is like several hundred pages, like 500 yeah. pages or so. And like, okay, this is this is the Marvel equivalent of the Imagineering story documentary uh, book <laughs> version that debuted last year that was like seven, 800 pages. So I'm like, okay, I brace myself. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a brick when you pick it up off the shelf and there's no... You know, there aren't any like printed letters or emails or anything to take up space. There are no photographs. It's just text. Yeah, it's there's a lot of content packed in because it's really focusing on what, 15 plus years. It's not just mm. the emergence of, of Iron Man and Marvel Studios, but everything that led up to that point as well. What was kind of your uh, understanding of of the you know backstory prior to um Prior to this book, I know you said you engaged with the podcast, but did you did you have much familiarity with prior to like 2008 Marvel? Oh, goodness. Um, you mean like reading the book? Did I discover some things or did you have did you have that familiarity prior to reading the book in terms of some of the Marvel stuff uh, before the age of Marvel Studios? I would say no. Uh, I would say I was a big fan of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films, and I loved the X-Men cartoon that was very present on my television in the 90s. So, like, I knew some of the characters, and I was always a fan of superhero projects in general, the ones that were, you know, family-friendly that I was allowed to watch. But I, it wasn't even until reading this book where some of that was put into context for me all these years later with, like, well, why aren't the X-Men in the movies? I mean, I kind of knew general, but, like, it was kind of fun hearing her talk about things that I now don't really associate with the MCU, but how they are still very much, you know, aligned and will always be. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of overwhelming the amount of content that there was even prior to Iron Man, like, mm -hmm. and you know, it, the book really dives into a lot of like the business decisions and kind of technicalities behind why certain characters were associated with certain studios. It was kind of overwhelming to realize the complexities there. Yeah. And, and at some point they, they say the number of characters that exist in the greater Marvel universe. I forget that number, but it's just astounding. And the fact that so many of these deals focus on specific characters like it's a whole big company but you know someone can say we're going to pull this one character he's ours now and marvel uh, you know has to agree to it but it's just funny how they're getting you know spread out all over yeah it kind of goes back to when disney made the deal to acquire uh marvel entertainment in 2009 and 
I remember, you know, Bob Iger saying in that announcement, oh yeah, we're acquiring this library of thousands of characters and we're just beginning to scratch the surface. It's kind of bewildering. Uh, and then you think of, you know, comparably some like the, the classic Disney anime characters, it's maybe not in the many, many thousands, uh, but Marvel, a uh, different story. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine uh, a huge corporation like Disney agreeing to sell off any other characters. You know, usually it's the opposite. They are taking on properties. So, Well, and it really reflected the Disney company at that point where, you know, increasingly so much of the content was associated with appealing to a, you know, a woman or younger female fan base. And so this is a move much like Star Wars and Lucasfilm to bring boys into the fold if we want to look at it in such a, a binary way. But in fact, you know, Marvel has really expanded Disney's portfolio of, of characters they can leverage not only in the films, but in the parks and merch merchandising and so much more. It's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I'm excited for us to get to that part of the conversation about Disney's takeover. Because there were a lot of interesting things to me once we got to that section. But like you said, it, it does start all the way back. I mean, there are even a couple chapters devoted to the comic books and how that started and how, um, yeah, how big X-Men and Spider-Man were to comic book fans. How those were like the huge powerhouses of the character, you know, Reservoir. Right. Well, it sounds like um, for people, including yourself, that was your kind of entry point into into Marvel. For me, like I, I remember seeing the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films, but otherwise I wasn't engaging with any Marvel content via television, comics, anything until um, until the MCU started. Yeah, no, I I mean, I think that's fair. There wasn't a ton. Like, I definitely saw the Fantastic Four movies. Oh, yeah, that's true. I did too, yeah. You know, want want. Um, I I enjoyed uh, quite a few of the Batman movies and probably until a certain point, it was all the same to me. Like, I didn't realize some characters were owned by one company, some by another. Uh, but but yeah, I could probably name 10 superheroes. If you count all the X-Men as one, I could probably name 10 superheroes. And Iron Man was not one of them when, you know, the Iron Man film came out. Yeah, it's, and again, unless people, and I think, you know, being in the age of not only the internet, but YouTube and podcasts and so many other ways of consuming um, nonfiction content, I think most people, you know, like you, like me, wouldn't have been able to disaggregate which characters belong where and what are mm -hmm. their histories. Because, I mean, at the time, you know, prior to 20 years ago, like it was like you had to have books, comment, comics, or other print media to be able to really um have a backstory on all of these properties that's quite a different landscape i was surprised that very briefly she even touched on the theme park issue where you know they said now that marvel has bought disney um you know disney has bought stop... marvel. yes thank you <laughs> uh now that disney has bought marvel we can't stop you from putting in their theme parks except east of the mississippi river which she even i forget the word she used but it was kind of just like a random uh designation to use there uh but i i liked I, you know as a theme park fan i i liked that she at least touched on that because i'm sure people who aren't in the theme park world like you and i are would have no idea there was such a random rule like that one well and there are loopholes but i don't feel if i remember correctly Derek, Derek, the book does not necessarily mention 
Disney Cruise Line because that's kind of a loophole where you can have the Marvel characters on the ships. And, and mind you, that's east of the Mississippi, but not in the continental U.S., if you will. You're right. No, she did not touch on that, but yeah. So that's for the second edition. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Or or yeah, or like the this little two-page add-on at the end that will get her to sell twice as many copies. Very true. So what were um, you know, what were some of the discoveries that you gleaned from the first chapters of the book where it was talking about prior to the formal development of the MCU? Does anything stand out to you from that part? Honestly. No, every time I got to a new chapter and it was still talking about the comics, which which I, I should be fair, probably wasn't more than what, three chapters, 40 pages like it, it gets into Iron Man pretty quickly, or at least the Toby Maguire stuff. But every time I turned a page and it was still talking about comics, I was like, OK, but get to the stuff I'm more familiar with. So I don't think any of that necessarily landed with me. Um, but it it if you're interested in toy sales uh and how specific characters are chosen to be turned into toys that was very illuminating to me yeah it's those those deals just seem so ridiculously complicated yeah in terms of who's taking some of the profits like it's maybe a reminder of why i'm not necessarily in that industry it's just uh, a bit much (laughs) definitely yeah there is a lot of setting up in those first few chapters where she'll introduce, or I keep saying she, this was written by her and two men. In fact, Dave Gonzalez is on one of her podcasts I listen to, and he's great. They work so well together. And I believe the third author, they don't know as well, but they brought him in because he's he's more knowledgeable about this type of book and like compiling quotes and stories into a cohesive, you know, nonfiction book. Hmm. Um that being said, I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, oh, she they they set up a lot in those first few chapters with introducing people that then they kind of reference throughout the rest of the book. So, you know, right. pay attention. Like I- Ike Perlmutter just seems exactly. to appear everywhere, right? Yeah. And it's so funny when I hear his name now, I'm like, oh, I know who that is. It's only happened a couple of times, but I'm like, oh, the Marvel guy. Yeah. And I didn't know him before. Oh, okay. So see, there, you know, it's almost like, you know, you need uh, a reader needs a guide of like all the people and all mm-hmm. the different ways in which they're involved. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of moving pieces to this. And I imagine that's pretty understandable given the size of the book. It's just, as you mentioned, it's a tome. Um, but yeah. And, and lots of stuff was left out. Like Dr. Strange, I noticed was yeah. barely touched on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge Doctor Strange fan, but to me, it was just like noticeable that that was kind of skipped. Um, and yeah, they just had to pick and choose because there's just so much. And you have to when you're writing a book, I have to you have to imagine, OK, what's the purpose of this? Like what can get left out if it's not serving that purpose? Right. Well, and to your point, you know, the book is written pretty much chronologically with only a few instances of going back in time a bit. But you're right. Like, I mean, each chapter, once you hit like Iron Man is really more or less dedicated to each of the films with some exceptions. And Dr. Strange was one I noticed. And, um, and, and it just, it feels like that, like there were unique chapters that focused on like the, you know, the special, the folks behind all the special effects for the films and in, in what ways they, you know, uh, consult and engage with different 
studios and, and companies to handle that? Like who would have ever realized the nuances of, of like who's responsible for handling these types of special effects for the films? That's um, much deeper than I would have ever imagined. Can I touch down on the special effects? Yeah, please go for at it. The, okay, at the risk of uh, getting ahead of ourselves. No, please. Um, I was very fascinated by the special effects because I think special effects is something Marvel is. It may be the thing they are most criticized for in these like post 2018, 2019 years. I mean, it's rarely nominated for Oscars. I think Black Panther and the Avengers movies were exceptions. Um, They're just criticized for not quite hitting the mark. And they do talk about that in the book, how once they started to get pressure to be working on four or five movies at one time it's like we don't have the people for this we're gonna have to export that's not the right word but like you know offhand this to third-party sites we can only pay them so much because we're spending so much money on other things so they're giving us the best they can do with the money we've given them um i thought that was very interesting and then one of the stories i loved is it goes into a little bit with uh the international restrictions and how some of the movies aren't released in China because of, you know, statements that an actor has said that China didn't like, so they're not going to release it, or there's LGBT material in it that they're not going to show. Um, and, oh gosh, what was the movie where the sort of the head of special effects was oh, yeah. told to, was it Ant-Man? No, no, it, uh, the most recent Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah. Quantumania. Yes, exactly. It was Victoria uh, Alonso, right? Or she was in Victoria Alonso, which, by the way, is another name I did not know. And then after I finished the book, I watched the new episode of Loki and her name was right there at the top of the credits. Uh, but yeah, she was asked to just in an overhead shot of I think it was San Francisco, like remove any flags that you see or yeah. signs that you see that reference the queer community. And she said, I'm not doing that. And so Disney, like they've been doing, they outsourced the special effects. And that third party was like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. We'll take care of it. And, you know, rightfully so, Victoria wasn't. Victoria, who herself, I believe, is married to a woman. Right. Um, yeah, not not real thrilled with that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking back at my notes. Everyone on her team also um, refused to make the edits as well. So it wasn't just yeah. her. So... Yeah, I mean, in California in 2022, like who on that team is going to be like, sure, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, there's definitely um, definitely cracks in, in the foundation. And um, maybe this segues to one of the questions I wanted to pose to you in terms of the controversies within the MCU that um, stood out uh, in, in reading more about. I, I mean, there were a ton that I did not know anything about until reading through. And I have some thoughts, but I'm curious for you, Derek, what, what controversies uh, stood out? Ooh, okay. Why don't you start with one? Because if I'm being honest, I was hoping, I was hoping for the tea, you know, I was hoping for a lot more and I definitely made notes of the one that were of the ones that were mentioned, Sure. but that list was shorter than I expected it to be. Oh, interesting. Okay. So one that I have highlighted was, um, related to Scarlett Johansson and not the controversy that we all know about with the Black Widow film, but rather the Where's Natasha hashtag in terms of the lack of representation of Black Widow toys. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's starting a whole movement where people are like, 
like even one of the toys replaced like depicted a scene and it replaced i think it was like the motorcycle scene with um the avengers film where they replaced her and put captain america on the motorcycle or yes Yes. Yeah. And I, and I believe the, I think the, the, the phrase she, the phrase they used, which is a direct quote was uh, those characters don't push plastic. Mm. Uh, The female characters, um, which I know you're not talking specifically about toys, but I I think it relates to that because uh, yeah, the, the, the black um, actors and characters face those same issues for the longest time of like oh we shouldn't put them in the movies because of this uh, and i think oh, 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 i'm gonna say her name wrong the kate blanchett character in thor ragnarok is it hella hella yeah that's right hella yeah the, they wanted her to be the villain in thor and then they wanted her to be the villain in thor the dark world and both times they were like no no no, we can't have a female villain and then of course thor ragnarok it gets seven times the reviews that those first two films get. Yeah. Well, and, and, and speaking of Thor, like there are references to where, you know, uh, those weren't the, the, the first two, at least weren't the most well-liked. And it was this notion of can Chris Hemsworth and, and the team even reinvent the character? Because, I mean, he's relegated to like nothing in what Avengers, uh, uh, God, why am I blanking on the name? The second film, the second Avengers film, uh-huh. Age, Age of Ultron. Ultron. Age of Ultron. Like he has like nothing to, of, of substance to do in that film. So they're like, what are we even going to do with this character? Anymore? Yeah. So yeah, I'm a Thor: The Dark World defender. Okay, but... I've never seen it. So okay, I have a lot of fun because it's very ethereal and gets into like you know mysticism. Not that I'm into that, but I'm just saying like I kind of enjoyed leaving Planet Earth for a little bit. But I get it. I get the hate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I mean, maybe that's worth uh, me bringing up because I was going to ask you, have, have you watched every Marvel Studios film? Because there are a good handful that I have not engaged with. I've, okay. I've watched every series Mm -hmm. for better or really worse. I'm looking at you, Secret Invasion. And I've seen every single movie except Quantumania. I just could not bring myself to care. I mean, I have time like tonight. I could watch it on Disney Plus. I just don't care what how that trilogy wraps up. That's fair. Yeah, I was just never a big Ant-Man person, I guess. And the movie itself, to me, from an outsider, feels so self-contained that like... Anyway, but to answer your question, almost yes. Okay, so you're much more exhaustive than me because there are there are <laughs> a good... great word for it. I feel exhausted, 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 and exhausted. Right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, like, I can think. I have not. I must admit, I have not watched the first two Thor films. I have not watched Thor: Love and Thunder. Somehow, I watched Ragnarok, and I, I got a sense of it. And then there are a number of films, uh, a handful of films um in the past few years that i have not watched i I didn't see the black panther sequel um i I haven't seen the latter two guardians films i was not a huge fan of the first one but Hmm. um but then i actually i really enjoy ant-man so there you have it it's yeah no i get it i think that's what's fun about mcu the mcu is that it really does have so many different tones so many different personalities within the films you know some of these films like you mentioned earlier uh are 
with with Thor Ragnarok going for sort of a different feel because they gave it to Taika Waititi, who's kind of known for that sense of humor. They've taken risks with these really big, like Oscar winning directors sort of being inserted into this mammoth that they've already formed. And that's what's kind of fun. Like they don't always land, but I'm all about taking risks. Well, and that's the unfortunate thing, I think, with uh, Walt Disney Studios, the Disney branded pictures is, more recently is they have not taken much in the way of of risks as they once did. And some of those were huge bombs at the box office, but at least they were experimenting with Tomorrowland or John Carter films that I feel like were so tarnished unfairly. But yeah, with Marvel, it's been it's been such a hodgepodge uh, from a not only tonally, but also just um, in terms of the environments and the um, backstories of characters, some extremely um, wacky or dark, everything in between. Yeah. Can I tell you two things that I thought going into the book would be addressed as controversies, but I was surprised to see weren't as What's big that? as I thought. The first one was I didn't know how these authors specifically would feel about Disney's takeover, but I was so surprised to see the overwhelmingly positive response within Marvel when Disney purchased them and really said, yeah, we love what you're doing. Like, we just want to now support that, you know, financially, creatively, however we can. And Kevin Feige in, in the quotes he has, like, loved the support he got. And then even when Marvel East Coast, as as they kept describing him, kept putting their foot down on certain things like the women or the black characters or there's that story about the offices only having purple pins because they bought a multicolored pack and they refused to buy more until all the pins had been used because they're like, you have purple pins, it's fine. Once Disney bought them and they decided to move everything over to Walt Disney Studios, the whole team, it was just like a load off. And I really enjoyed reading that because I assumed it would be more negative. For sure, yeah. They were they're very much focused on cutting costs. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, like to an extreme degree. It was crazy. And then the other thing I was kind of surprised by was what, what I was talking about with the directors like Chloe Zhao or, oh my goodness, I'm going to forget his name, but the director of Black Panther, Ryan Coogler. Yes, you got it. Taika Waititi. It's always been kind of said that these directors weren't given a chance to put their own personalities and their own views into the films because it's such a machine that MCU runs. But it it doesn't really seem to be that way. Like there are certain things where it's like, hey, we have this stinger that we really want to use after the credits. But I would say the majority of what they did for their film, it sounds like they they got to have a say. I don't, I don't know if I said that correctly, and maybe you disagree, but it just seemed less of a dictatorship than what I've always sort of heard through the grapevine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it was very clear that these authors conducted so many dozens of interviews. This is such an extensive project, so it's not like they're necessarily uh, engaging with a limited subset of of voices, if you will. Um, yeah. And, and, and they drew on some really fascinating... Um, perspective on like who could have been cast in Marvel films. And one of my favorite quotes, which I'm going to pull up on my uh, Kindle here, comes from uh, Mama Mia star Amanda Seyfried, who says uh, Marvel offered the role uh, 
to, of Gamora to Amanda Seyfried, who passed. She, who, she said, I didn't want to be part of the first Marvel movie that bombed. I said, who wants to see a movie about a talking tree and a raccoon? <laughs> I could not believe I had never heard that. I, I probably gasped when I read it because I love her. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I like Zoe Saldana, too. And she's probably she probably plays it more stoically, I imagine. Yeah. Um, Crazy. Yeah, I, I it's hard for me to imagine Amanda Seyfried in that role. Me too. Uh, Zoe Saldana it just gives a lot. I mean, not that I like Guardians. You clearly heard I, I only saw the first film, but <laughs> but I um but I enjoy the character and there's there's a, a good level of depth to that that I don't know how that would have uh, come off otherwise. So yeah, there were a few other casting what ifs that I enjoyed. I had no idea that Patrick Wilson had been cast yeah. in Ant Man as the Corey Stoll villain character and had filmed some things. And then as it kept getting pushed back, he had to bow out because he had other projects. Um, And that, that seemed to be the story with a lot of Marvel projects of like being delayed because you have the story, but then there's like, well, wait, but then that doesn't quite fit with the next movie that's coming out or or just little disagreements with the directors, not really having the same vision as Kevin Feige did. Uh, But I, I had never heard that. Yeah, that was interesting. And I, you know, Patrick Wilson's one of those actors where he's always been present, but he never became like a top list, a list actor. So it's unfortunate because I wonder if that would have elevated him a little bit more. I don't know to what extent it made a difference for Corey Stahl, but um, I like him. Interesting. I've, I've always looked up to Patrick Wilson. That's interesting that you say that, but yeah, I guess being a Marvel supervillain would be just a different sort of limelight. Yeah. For the record, I love Patrick Wilson. I just, it's just surprising that he never became like a Brad Pitt or someone of that level. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he duetted with Barbra Streisand. That's pretty big for a certain community. And he heads up those, uh, um, conjuring films, which is a big deal for a different type of community. So that's fair. And he's in the new Aquaman film. So he, he, that's right finding a way to make a space or wasn't he in Watchmen too? Oh, Oh, you know, I never saw that. I saw yeah, the I never show. Did either. So yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite though, because listen, Robert Danny Jr. Obviously proved that he was the best man for the job, but Timothy Oliphant is an actor I've always enjoyed. And the fact that he was considered for Iron Man, I could like, I could visualize it. Yeah, me too. And and gosh, I mean, we got really good perspective into how much money Robert Downey Jr. makes. Like they True. made that clear on a number of occasions, like, oh, he's getting so much on the back end. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about uh, you You see why. OK, this is a spoiler. You see why in Avengers Endgame, they had to retire some of their characters because the more the series goes on, half the film's budget just goes to the cast. Yeah. So you kind of at some point have to restart with these teenage characters or, you know, Captain America 2.0. Well, maybe as a segue to teenage characters, Tom Holland as Spider-Man, we get some focus on him at a few points. And I, even though I've heard the anecdote a few times, but the notion of when it seemed like that he was no longer going to be in the MCU and he was very distraught about it. And Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, gives him a call and he's, uh, not completely coherent uh, 
for a few yeah. reasons during that call. Uh, he had a, f- a few drinks, but um, but really shows again the power. I mean, fault Bob. I mean, Bob Iger has his faults and criticisms, and some people love him, some don't. But he is a, he is someone who really prides himself and effectively so on on having strong connections with film talent. So. For sure. Yeah, that phone call was to say, like, listen, if you want to be in the MCU, we will find a way. Don't worry about it. Um, But uh, yeah, I actually loved all the Bob Iger stuff because I have heard Joanna on the podcast a few times. Like she's very open minded, but she has speaked um, criticizingly about specific decisions Bob Iger has made, like recently his statement about the. Uh, writer strike and the actor strike she didn't really love that coming from a corporation but in this book i mean he was presented as like the prince uh of disney come to rescue mcu from their troubles because everyone felt safe under him he fought for everyone you know you mentioned earlier the the uh i keep wanting to say natasha scarlet johansson issue with being paid for black widow even though it went they were trying to make it go straight to streaming like that was all kind of presented as Bob Chapek's mess. Um, and it was Bob Iger who was like, this is not how we do things. No, stop. Absolutely. Well, and and I think someone else who's presented overall pretty favorably is Kevin Feige, um, who, mm-hmm. you know, he really came up the ranks, you know, from, you know, this assistant on the set of of projects in the what late 90s, very early 2000s to just like becoming this icon if you will in, in such a short period of time for all intents and purposes it's pretty remarkable yeah and i noticed that even people who aren't really with the mcu anymore still had good things to say about kevin feige for instance edward norton famously made a bungle of the incredible hulk because he really tried to take over a lot and then i think it was sort of mutual that he wouldn't come back to play the character. But years later, he even said, like, basically, they know what they're doing. I mean, they they've look at what they've created. Like, who can blame them? And then even Joss Whedon, who who helped really launch MCU in its early days because he gave the Avengers its its personality, I would say. Like that that first Avengers film, I think he can be credited with a lot of the humor and the camaraderie that we got from that film. Um, he left because it just got to be a lot. It was like, I can't crank out this many movies. I'm being asked to do a lot, but he still had great things to say about, um, just the company as a whole, Kevin Feige included. Yeah. Well, and it became very clear in that chapter about Joss, Joss Whedon's influence and how not everybody was filmed with the amount of time that he wanted to spend on the Clint Barton family farm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. But you know what? I uh, say what you will about, you know, he's gotten into some trouble and we don't have to get into that. I'm not going to defend the man's character, but I have always enjoyed his writing style um, and how he does pay attention to the little things like the family farm. I'm sure he could have made that scene very entertaining in a way that when the movie ended, like you're getting emotional because you're thinking back to that tiny farm scene and it's all come together. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, uh, we could talk about Avengers Endgame, which is almost like the pinnacle of the MCU. But I loved those simple scenes, particularly at the beginning when Clint's family just evades because of the uh, the blip and 
Boy, I mean, that's powerful stuff. I agree. I agree. One of my, I, this blew my mind. I had no idea. So talking about in-game being powerful stuff, you know, everyone talks about how in-game, I mean, I cried in the theater. I saw it twice. I cheered. I laughed. I cried. And it was because it was like this culmination of this 11 year thing that, that Disney and Marvel had built all, all this groundwork. And it was just so incredible. And this apparently is common knowledge. I had no idea that Thanos was not necessarily supposed to be the quote unquote big bad that would get, you know, the seed planted early on. And then you learn more about him and you learn about the infinity stones one movie at a time. And then it culminates in the infinity war. Apparently Thanos was Joss Whedon's idea because he loved the comic books. He knew that comic book fans would love it if this big blue guy showed up and they would instantly be like, oh my gosh, that's Thanos. So Disney said, yeah, sure, you can throw him in the tag. That's fine. And then a couple movies later, they're talking about something and they're like, well, you know, we did already introduce Thanos. Maybe we could bring him in here. And then when they decide to do the Infinity Stones, they were like, well, you know, we had that, I forget what it was called, but the green time thing in Doctor Strange, like that could just be an Infinity Stone. And it was like, man, I really thought that they had this all planned, but it's 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 sort of the opposite. And I admire this so much where instead of like trying to make things fit, you just keep going back to your toolbox. And it's like, well, what have we already laid out that we can go back to and now use Kind of like, uh, sorry, I keep rambling now, but uh, she may have mentioned this or I I thought of it um, in, I think she said this, in the WandaVision series, they brought back um, the character from Thor and then they brought back one of the, uh, one of the police officers from like Captain America Winter Soldier or something. And no, they're like, uh, we... you know, Ant-Man, Ant-Man, Randall Park. Yes, that's right. It's like, well, we've introduced them, you know, we love them. Let's, there's a way to insert them here. I love that. Well, and and kind of in that spirit, Derek, and then there's something else I wanted to mention in, in light of what you were talking about. They also found ways to leverage some of the incredible Hulk cast members in other projects, which yes. like, and that's probably the most obscure, if you will, MCU film, but okay, William Hurt, we, we're going to get you on board for Civil War and Tim Roth, come on, come on down. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And you imagine that once Edward Norton was recast, all those actors were like, well, there goes that. <laughs> I guess I'll never be invited back. Pretty pretty fascinating. You, you know, you're talking a minute ago about how, um, at, at least in the case of Thanos, it, it was much more organic, not as calculated. And that's such a counterpoint, though, to um, one thing that Marvel really tried to orchestrate, but not effectively at all initially was in terms of integrating the Marvel television shows and the films. So in the age of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for instance, and trying to do tie-ins, but things just didn't quite mesh well. Yeah, you know what? I gotta say, I guess this goes back to my Joss Whedon fandom, and I know he was only involved in the beginning. His his brother sort of took over. I really enjoyed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Not every plot was interesting, but I loved every single character on that show. It was sort of a Guardians feel or an Avengers feel where every character had their own personality and worked so well together. I watched it until the very last episode, but I actually didn't even notice until I read the book that like, oh, yeah, that was a thing that they deliberately did and then deliberately stopped doing. But that's OK. Right. 
Well, and then Marvel has once again tried to revisit that with um, the Disney Plus Marvel shows tying in with the films and then that being very much uh, disrupted by the pandemic and having to shift a lot of projects in an order that was not congruent with the original vision. Uh, Funny that you say vision because, (laughs) yes, I was kind of bummed to learn and it all made sense. I was kind of bummed because I love WandaVision. It's still probably my favorite of the series. I just love that it's fun and throws back to comedies and sitcoms of, you know, yesteryear. But also, I think deals with a lot of like real human issues at the center of it. And it makes you love Vision and Wanda way more than you ever thought you could. But I was kind of bummed that the reason her character took such a turn in the Doctor Strange sequel is that the writers of that movie hadn't even really been told what happens in WandaVision until way late in the game. And it's like, well, that would have been nice to know, you know? So now they're kind of having to readjust what to do with that character. And because I know a lot of fans, me included, were very upset with the way Wanda was handled in that film. Yeah. Well, and you're right. I think the series have, the series, uh, not just that series, but the series uh, on Disney Plus, more collectively, have really been a, a a a space for expanding our appreciation, if you will, of these characters that um, did not have as much time to shine in the films, like Wanda and Vision. But um, you know, even some of these smaller characters, like oh, that's the last of them. Nope, they're they're making an appearance again now. So yeah. Yeah, um, I won't spoil it, but the tag on Captain Marvel definitely sets up, not Captain Marvel, the Marvels, Mm -hmm. sets up a future for some of these television characters. Well, I I am sadly in that camp of people who have not seen the Marvels, but not because of the tepid reviews, but other priorities. Um, I understand. I don't have those priorities. (laughs) I was going to say, no, no, no. And I was going to say with... um, with this book, like the, the challenge with writing a book that's almost like an encapsulation of a studio like this is that it's going to be outdated by a certain point, right? Like yeah. there are already new projects emerging. So you get a little bit of quantumania, but then you're basically done. And, and it's like, okay, well, what's to come? Especially there's been such disruption with the MCU uh, in the past six months. Yeah, I... I... It almost, I tend to think that they had planned to end the book with Endgame because A, that was when Marvel was on top of the world. I mean, it was, you know, Endgame set a billion records. Um, But B, that was kind of like a nice chapter closing. And they started writing this book in 2018, 2017-ish. So I, I imagine that that's where they wanted to end it. And then with the pandemic and not being able to reach people and then marvel kept cranking out content it was like uh, so yeah so you have to stop at some point but you're never going to be at the end of the story no and it's and such a fascinating story at that i um i i loved how um we had space by virtue of this book to really dig into um stories that i had only heard about a little bit so um i'm going to pull out something from uh, one of the latter chapters as far as back uh, later in t- 2020, when we were in the midst uh, early part of the pandemic, Disney has the huge investors call with where they announce all these projects. And 
I, I love this notion of both Feige and Kathleen Kennedy of Lucasfilm were pressured into announcing projects that were nowhere near ready, some of which have since been canceled, like Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron movie, Arrangers of the Republic series, or, or significantly overhauled and delayed, like the Armor Wars TV series and the Fantastic Four, Four film. Um, the event wrong-footed Marvel. The studio struggled to deliver on all the promises it made during that presentation, end quote. Yeah. How do you make sense of that? <laughs> I mean, you would think they would learn from what happened with Star Wars, because when Solo came out, which I think was 2018, they made a very deliberate choice to step back like we are oversaturating the star wars world let's take a step back let's decide what projects we really want to do and focus on those and marvel took the opposite approach um but yeah you could see pictures of like d23 you know timelines up on the big screen on the big stage and you're like oh that didn't happen or that that's out of order that that one came before that one that's why it's like, and I, I've said this uh, to people with each D23 or investor call, whatever the event might be, it's like, take some of this at face value. Like, we'll be lucky if half of these projects come yeah. to fruition, even in the theme parks, right? Like all the attractions that we were promised that mm. were upended by, um, you know, budgetary decisions. So Yeah, that's true. Um, something that, so I listened to another podcast that had her on, had Joanna on as a guest, just to kind of plug the book. And one thing she said was she spoke to over a hundred people for the book um, and Disney was like, this is great. Yeah. And she was thinking that would not be the case because if there's going to be a book like this, surely Disney would want to write it, you know? And then about halfway through writing, she kind of ran into a wall where a bunch of people were getting calls from Disney saying, Hey, if these authors reach out to you, don't talk to them. You know, we're being really careful about what gets out there. And so then they kind of had to make do with like old interviews they had done or whatever they had compiled up to that point. And then as they're finishing the book about a year ago, Disney reaches out and they're like, actually, you know what? Like, we're OK with it. So like whoever you want to talk to. And she was like, it's too late. <laughs> it's, it's done. Like we are putting the final touches on this thing. But thank you. Yeah, uh, you can only control a message so much. Um, and uh, yeah, well, I and maybe everyone was like, no, we said great things about Bob Iger or, oh, yeah, we really praised Kevin Feige. And Disney's like, oh, OK, you can do it. You can publish it. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe the adage of all all press is good press, but um, this, you know, you mentioned it, it's a best selling book. So it's probably causing some folks to want to revisit some of the MCU projects on Disney Plus or in other ways, because, um, yeah, these these films, these series these entities have had such a huge presence in, in Hollywood. It's um, I mean, it seemed like Marvel could do nothing wrong, especially leading up to Endgame, And then the pandemic just completely showed the fissures. Yeah. The what's the subtitle? Um, the reign of Marvel studios, I think R E I G N. And it's true because even you who admitted to not having seen maybe half of the films, I wouldn't say um, that still... many, but still a bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, you still read the book because, you know, like it or not, even if you've seen none of them, like you can't deny that 2018 to 2019 at the very least was like such a moment for Hollywood. 
you know, a hundred years from or 50 years from now, even if the Marvels is the last Marvel thing to ever get made, which it won't be. But 50 years from now, like I can still see people being like, oh, my gosh, if you were around in the 2010s, it was Marvel this Marvel that they were everywhere. So I think that's it's no wonder it's a number one bestseller. Yeah. And and it's really well written. I mean, obviously, we know that you're a Joanna fan person <laughs> after this. Like, that's abundantly clear, Derek. But what, what's your sense of the narrative style and how the content is presented from just a storytelling sense? There were definitely moments where I could hear her like political slants when sometimes she would mention someone or something and it's be like, and I don't know if only I could hear it because I hear her podcast all the time or if it was like she wasn't being subtle. But, you know, there are a few commentary editorial choices. Um, I also do think it is very dense in some parts with all the name dropping and, and then this happened and this happened and this happened. I think some of that probably could have been whittled down, you know, like just because of quotes funny. If it doesn't really fit, you don't have to include it. Um, so those would be like my little nits to pick, as it were. But overall, I I I really enjoyed that it was chronological. Because as soon as you ch- finish a chapter, you're like, oh, yeah, next comes Black Panther. I got to hear about this because, you know, what a shift in the tone of Marvel. Um, how about you? What did you think? I think it was a it was pretty breezy um, and not breezy in terms of that. It was light, but just that it was enjoyable. It. The flow felt good. I, I agree with you at the beginning that I just wanted to hit the films. Um, yeah. But it, it it's very well written. It's compelling. There's lots of good examples. And you really see the intersection of so many different industries, um, which I think as someone who just enjoys entertainment, like it's fascinating to learn more about the business standpoint. But then there's also the like, you know, there's the social science standpoint of like, oh, what are the main what are some issues that that is facing um, you know f- folks in their everyday lives, like in in terms of whether it be like Black Lives Matter or in terms of you know uh, acceptance in the queer and trans community, and and we see that with the um, the controversy with the, the you know taking out the the flag and 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 quantum mania. So it's it's I, I really appreciate books that are really comprehensive in that sense and that. Um, and that show that everything is really linked together and, and, and to be a successful film studio probably need to, um, be addressing a variety of topics. There were, there was a lot of, um, focus on, you know, uh, representation among women, um, not only Mm -hmm. the characters, but in, in leadership roles too, which, which I appreciated. For sure. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that I use the word dense because, you just used it. I also used the word breezy as soon as I finished it when talking to a friend. I was like, oh, yeah, it's breezy. I flew through it. Um, so I would agree with that more than dense. I think there were just certain parts where I felt like a lot of names were being thrown at me. But maybe that's my fault for not knowing those names before I read the book. But the mm-hmm. thing about it, most readers, unless they're like, I imagine a lot of the people who have contributed to this being a bestseller are not necessarily humongous marvel consumers there's there's obviously right. some and that's why the films are so popular but uh it might just be people who are like oh i'm interested in learning about you know this as a business or this in terms of the social impact or whatever the case may be yeah i would say at least every chapter had something that i was learning for the first time and it was kind of fun 
to discover. Yeah, yeah. So I guess maybe wrap, wrapping up or getting close to wrapping up, like where do you hope the MCU goes over the coming years? What potential directions might you think they they explore? I wish them nothing but the best, but I just don't know what else new they can do at this point. Um, I think it's like 2026, they've announced Secret Wars. So I imagine between now and then, they're going to be building up to that. And then by the time we get there, we'll have assembled, ah, pun intended, we'll have assembled all of these, this new class of Avengers to fight the big bad guy, which we've already done in 2019, you know, with with the original class or first class as the X-Men movie would call them. Um, Stop with the puns, Derek. (laughs) You've reached your limits. It's who I am. That being said, I will continue to watch every film as long as X-Men are still being teased out as possibilities. We've gotten several X-Men references or cameos in the last couple years in these films. I don't think the TV shows yet, but I might be wrong on that. I would love to see how Disney and Marvel treat the X-Men because I think First Class and Days of Future Past are such good movies with such good casts. So it's going to be very interesting to see Disney do it again so close to those. Uh, but that's uh, that's what that's what keeps me coming at this point. That and Fantastic Four. It's like these iconic comic characters that are now able to be inserted into this monster that we know or this machine that we know. Um, but they know, like they know that's what people want. You know, I think Fantastic Four was their very first comic book ever. X-Men has to be one of the most lucrative properties ever for them. So like they know, and that's probably why they're taking their time because they want to get it right. But as far as all these other characters and stories, it's just kind of like, it's starting to all become the same it's all becoming the same to me yeah there's just so much content um and i think clearly now they've realized they need to be more deliberate i'm really curious with you know you know you mentioned secret wars but also i guess leading up to that is i guess it's now being called captain america new world order or is it brave new world yes. new world order okay i think so yeah yeah so like that obviously has been delayed um somewhat so we, we still are a year out from that. But given that that is a mechanism to really leverage many of these side characters from recent projects and how do they maybe become their own set of uh, like a team, if you will, like I, I'm really curious because we're we're now really much past the, the core six Avengers. So in what which ones will really take the mantle in being signature uh, characters alongside X-Men and Fantastic Four and those other individual properties, but like these team-up films or these more ensemble films uh, with uh, more familiar characters, um, that's going to be really fascinating, I think, to see how that plays out. Yes. Also, they have to stop with the multiverse. It, yeah. it it's It's gotten 
I think even bigger than they, it, it, it's gone over everyone's heads. It's way too much to keep up with. Like now when I watch a movie, I have to imagine that literally anything is possible because it could just be another reality. Like that's too much, you know, narrow the scope a little bit, bring us down to what is it? Planet 616 or whatever, whatever, we're, whatever our universe is our, or our multiverse. You got to stop. That's me speaking, but I know I'm not the only one. It it is rather confounding. I I remember that even seeing the newest Spider-Man animated film across the multiverse, like or across the Sp- Spider Verse, excuse me, and that was just bewildering. <laughs> so, oh, I love that movie. <laughs> it was very good. It was just very hard to follow. I actually preferred the first film compared to the one that just came out, but nonetheless, yeah. uh, it would be it would be five stars versus four and a half stars for me. But yeah. Um, but even that feels contained, you know, I don't feel like, okay, I need to remember all of this because I'm going to watch 17 more movies about these other characters in the movie. Just like, Oh, what is your favorite MCU project? Oh, we need to get to that. Right. So hands down. Actually, let me ask. uh, So, or let me put, let me rephrase this. Do you have a sense of what my favorite Marvel project is? Has been and mind you, I'll tell you which films I have not seen. I have not seen the two Guardians, uh, the two latter Guardians films. I have not seen three of the four Thor films. <laughs> I have not seen Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, or the Marvels. But otherwise, I've seen all of them. Oh wow! Look at you. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm projecting now because I'm about to guess one that's in my top three for sure. Okay. Uh, is it one of the Captain America films? No, but I do enjoy those a lot. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, I was wrong then. Um, yeah. I don't know. Hit me. Avengers Endgame. Oh, okay. It's it's not Excellent. it's probably not surprising, but it's one of those rare films. I hate, hate long movies with a passion. Mm. It has to be something really stellar for me to see it if it's two and a half hours. So for that to be at three hours, and I saw it twice in the theaters, and I was so energized. That's a, a clear testament to a high quality film, at least for me. Yeah, it's undeniable. I think people who put other movies above that one, me included, it's just because like we all know Endgame is the best, you know, or, or at least up there. Uh, it, yeah, you can't deny it. That theater going experience may be the most fun I've ever had in the theater. Like I remember even early on, it was like, oh, this is kind of moody. Like we're starting on the mood. And then when it when it said five years later, I think everyone said, oh what and then you know the hammer moment at the end and then the on your left like all i'm just getting chills talking about it like all of it just all the building up to these little character moments it landed every single one of them and it was a fantastic drama like outside of the action scenes and the the great lines like it like i was like genuinely moved when i was you know watching the scene between you know clint and natasha on the Mm -hmm. The mountain and and others like it's a great human drama like very compelling like you could just pl- take out pluck those scenes put them somewhere else and think hey that's a, just a you know that could be an oscar contender so yeah because we know these people like we've been with them and so in these even tiny moments like we're right there with them feeling what they're feeling yeah, yeah it's so good it's so good i've probably seen it the most mm. of all yeah. the marvel movies yeah, actually, I would probably say the same. I've I've seen it maybe four times, and I don't mm. think I've seen it any other Marvel project that often. 
Should I should I try to guess yours? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if I would have just one. I mean, Endgame is kind of hard to top. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of. I'm probably thinking of my other three favorites right now. Okay, so I'm going to guess that you. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go for. It. I I think Guardians of the Galaxy is in your top three. It's not, but I oh. do enjoy all three of those movies. Okay. Yeah. Fair Okay, I I uh one of them I already said man. to you, I love Winter Soldier. Oh, I, I think it's that. yeah, so smart, so zippy, so tightly plotted, and so different for Marvel. Love that a one. Thriller, no less. Exactly, yeah, like a spy caper. Yeah. Um, I love it's the only one I've seen twice in the theaters besides Endgame, Thor Ragnarok. It made me laugh so much and like totally opened my eyes to what that character could be within the universe i thought it was hilarious and so smart and then i think the other one would be black panther um definitely cried in the theater it was the first one when even though my parents have never watched a marvel movie when it came out they were over at my place and i was like you know what we should watch black panther i think you're really gonna love it and they did Mm -hmm. um it's just a really special film and i love that Disney was like, sure, make that movie. We stand behind you. There you go. What would you say is your least favorite Marvel film? Oh, I definitely should have thought of that. Uh, well, I already said Secret Invasion is the worst TV show in my mind. You know what? It's it's between Iron Man 2 and I haven't seen it since the theaters, but by the end, I was so bored and just like, what is happening? Didn't love that one. And uh, Thor Love and Thunder had a lot of good ideas, but to me, there's nothing more painful than a comedy that isn't funny. Mm-hmm. And only about half the jokes landed for me. So then it's the other half are just like, oh, oh, mm, no. So I just don't enjoy that. That's uncomfortable to me. That's fair. Gosh, I don't know. There are so many. Like, I can't even think of. Oh, I don't care for Doctor Strange at all. I think it is. It's so predictable and hits like every single beat that an origin story should hit. Um, And I find his character so off-putting. Like, you're supposed to have a little bit of warmth. And he hadn't. I think he went too far. Yeah. I don't know. He's not the most empathetic character. So. Yeah. And that was, a, he's a tough hang. Yeah. And I rewatched it recently because I'm like, you know, my girl, Rachel McAdams, bring it home for me. Maybe the second time I'll like it more. And I think I liked it less. I do like Rachel McAdams a lot, but yeah. it's yeah, kind of a weird, weird type of film for her, I guess. Um, hmm. What about you? There's a lot of films I feel apathetic about. Like, I don't hmm. think I've absolutely hated a film like I, I remember I tried starting the second Guardians film and I'm like oh, I'm just really not that interested <laughs> um, but and I, I yeah I you know I I'm not a fan I'm not a huge fan of the Iron Man films I maybe mm-hmm. I have to revisit like I haven't watched the first Iron Man since right after it came out but I just you know I'm I'm usually of the mindset where I go with my gut and like it's unlikely that I'm going to revisit something unless i super super 
uh, motivated um, and some of the films just haven't landed with me or the tone has been so um, like even even Avengers Infinity War like it has great moments but I, as a package it it doesn't even hold a candle to Endgame like it's not even at, in the oh, same interesting in the same league at least for me when I saw Endgame as much as I laughed and cried and loved it I left the theater saying I liked Infinity War a little bit better really interesting. I might still feel that way I just think it's tighter like Endgame tries to do a lot and I yeah. think it works but as a film i think infinity war is just like so tight and cohesive that'd be one i'd be open to watching again i just i think i've seen it twice and it just hasn't totally done it for me but again that's what that that's what you said earlier derek right there's always a marvel film for someone right and that's what you can appreciate that each of these films is very different in in terms of what they're trying to accomplish i'm trying to think even the last marvel movie i was i left saying oh you know what i really like that was probably shang chi yeah, that was great. Everything since then, I've either said that wasn't very good or I feel like we've already done that. Right. Well, and I think there's often the, the Marvel problem, too, where the third act for nearly every film is so drawn out, so CGI heavy that mm. it's like I feel like that can be very disruptive in terms of thinking about like even remembering what happens at the end, like there's so many films where I don't even remember how they conclude because they're so bloated by the end. Yeah. Of them. I actually loved Shang-Chi, but the third act was just the battle scene was just so much. And I'm like, it was great, but I'm like, it could have been tighter. Yeah, I get it. You know, what show I loved that a lot of people poo pooed on. I thought Hawkeye was a blast. The plot didn't always work. It tried to do too many villains, but I thought Haley Steinfeld, that's her name, was so perfect in that role. And, you know, going back to the multiverse, it didn't deal with any of that. It was just like New York City at Christmas time, these two people shooting arrows at real life human beings who can get killed by arrows. You know, like I just had a blast with it. I want more like that. Yeah, uh, I um, I, I think it's that's where it's fun, where these series have been kind of like the films, like spaces to experiment like she hulk most people didn't like she hulk and she hulk took a lot of risks i think i, I kind of like the meta nature of some of it and like it, it didn't always land and some episodes were really boring whereas others were actually in my mind quite good but it took risks you have to commend that i mean some of the best scenes of any tv show were when um oh i'm not gonna remember his name but dr strange's right hand man sitting on the couch watching the sopranos oh, right. with with that girl yes. so good yeah there's some there's some little gems in there <laughs> yeah um i just love the part where she like ends up going into like the like looking like where she's looking through disney plus and she's on the disney studio lot like yeah it's just like who would have ever guessed that they would go that like so meta 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 I know. And then like researching the She-Hulk comics, I guess that was a thing that She-Hulk always did. Like it really thrived in its meta-ness. So I appreciated that, but it was, it took some risks. Yeah, it it was a bit of a hot mess, but um, yeah, there you have it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They don't even cover that in the book, so. No, no, there was only so much space. Um, Yeah. So any final thoughts, Derek, that you want to share about why people should read this book or what you got out of it? Um, 
you know, we talked, uh, I'm surprised at how many specific things we were able to pull from the book. And, and I feel like we barely even touched on it. Like I have a whole list of tidbits that even before you asked me if I was reading it and if I wanted to talk about it, I had been keeping these notes on my phone because I'm like, oh, I don't want to forget that. Oh, that's so interesting. And I had started this list and I have this long list that we didn't even touch on. Um, so yeah, don't think we have exhausted the entire book. There's still plenty of fun tidbits from all of your favorite and least favorite Marvel projects. So now I have to ask, do you want to maybe pull out like two or three little things that you just didn't have time to cover, but want people to okay. know? Okay. Um, let is, let me see. Uh, so I didn't know that as they were writing the Avengers, they didn't even know who the antagonist would be until very very late in the writing process so tom hiddleston gets this random phone call like february 2011 as the screenplay is finished saying hey we want you back but you're going to be like the main villain like i just thought that was crazy I, you, I would think you start writing the avengers by saying okay we have our main characters we have our heroes we have our villain now what so, you know, what a great call for Tom Middleston because now he has two seasons of the TV show named after his character. Um, let's see. I wrote a lot of stuff about toys not selling if they're female. So don't cast or don't write female characters. Not great. Um, okay, one more. This is more going back to comics book, comic books. Fantastic Four was the book that launched Marvel Comics in 1962. I thought it was kind of funny that after Disney purchased Marvel. No, no, no. This is even before that. Once Fox got the rights to Fantastic Four and then put out that movie whenever that was. 2005, yeah. Okay. So in 2014, Marvel ceased publication of the Fantastic Four because they're like, why do we keep giving free publicity to Fox? To a Fox movie, because that may have been when the Michael B. Jordan movie came out right. was in 2014. So they're just like, we're not going to keep making comics that people can. I don't know that people will flood to the theater to see your movie because they read our comics. Which makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's so much packed within a book like this. And um, yeah, I, I, I got it on Kindle and I'm, I, I love being able to highlight certain passages and um, quotes. There's There's so many. There's, there's so much within here that is worth revisiting. Unlike certain Marvel films, this book is worth yeah. many reads. Uh, yeah. But you know what? When you make, what, 27-some films, they can't all be winners. No, they can't. And even though Marvel for a time was unstoppable, um, there are, there's obviously some challenges now. But it, it's very similar to the Pixar story, right? You have hit after hit after hit after hit, and then... You know, once you know, once Toy Story three was out, and and you know everything had been successful, and then thereafter you have, you know, the likes of Cars two and Brave and Monsters University and Pixar isn't quite hitting those strides. Uh, a, a a Titan can't stay that way forever, and Marvel is no exception. Um, so that's where you have to look at look at the studio or entity completely and realize there's there's highs and lows and lots of interesting characters along the way, and not just the ones on screen. <laughs> That should have been the tagline for this book. Look at you. Oh, yeah. Where's my writing credit? Let's get Joanna <laughs> on the line for the second edition. Exactly. All you. Derek, uh, so much fun to talk with you. Let's um let's make sure that folks know where to find you in the 
in the interweb, if you will, or social media? How can people find you? Okay, well, at this point, it's probably just easier to find me on my personal accounts. Uh, I did have a podcast for a long time. We are not done with the podcast, as far as I know. It's called The Mad Chatters. Uh, we've just, you know, taken time to pursue other things over the last year or so. But if you want to find me, I'm uh, probably Instagram is the only thing I use these days. Derek and Lewis. I'm over there. So come chat with me about all nerdy things. Um, should I plug Joanna's podcast, too, since I mentioned it a hundred times? Might as well be okay. a host of it by this point. <laughs> I mean, she did sign my book, so I feel like I owe her. Um she the two i listen to one is called house of r because it's her and another co-host who also has the last name beginning with r and they do really deep dives into like so when the marvels came out they did like a three-hour episode it's a lot like those are a lot for me because or or like the star wars series um when obi-wan came out they did deep dives after every episode it's a lot but for me it's kind of helpful because they'll they'll touch on like, well, this character was actually introduced in this series. Let us give you some history on him. But my, I think her more accessible podcast is the one she hosts with Dave Gonzalez, who helped her write this book. And it's called Trial by Content. And every week they present a category and then they each get to present their picks for the one that fits the category best. And then people online vote for it. And it's all pop culture based. So recently to honor the Hunger Games movie, they the category was the most unnecessary prequel ever, or they've done like the best food scene in a movie or just a lot of fun things like that. And they spend, you know, like an hour debating some of the ones that they had to not pick. And then they debate their final picks and it's a good time. Trial by content. I'll have to check it out. Derek, so much fun to talk with you. Thanks for engaging in this deep dive with me. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for putting up with me. This was so much fun. So needless to say, both Derek and I are a fan of MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, an exciting new title that goes into all the deep insights about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Studios, and the many figures who have made these comic books a reality via film, television, and much more. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports, and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.